Herzlich willkommen bei Multilingual Stories. Mein Name ist Dr. Bettina Gruber und ich bin die Linguistin. Ich unterstütze voller Begeisterung mehrsprachige Familien mit Herz und Verstand auf ihrem individuellen Weg, damit ihre Kinder alle Familiensprachen erfolgreich und mit Leichtigkeit lernen können. In meinem Podcast bekommst du sehr persönliche Geschichten von Mehrsprachigkeit aus der ganzen Welt zu hören. Lehn dich zurück und lass dich inspirieren. Welcome to today's episode of Multilingual Stories. Today's guest is Sunday Bean, and I think it's super funny how we met, actually. It's the first time that we're talking to each other, and uh, we were actually introduced by someone else who I had on my podcast a few weeks ago, Cherry Jones. Now, Sunday is a Intercultural strategist and a solution-oriented coach. I love that. Solution-oriented coach. Hi, Sunday. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm super excited to be talking to you, and I'm so curious to hear your story. Tell oh. us, Sunday. Where <laughs> okay, do you well, come from? How did you grow up, and how did you end up on an air mattress in an office <laughs> in Switzerland? <laughs> Yes, this is me like proving how glamorous my life is because I have an air mattress I'm sleeping on. My office or my bedroom becomes an office at 7 a.m. or my office becomes a bedroom at 5 p.m. I don't know how to, how to say it. <laughs> so um, yes, I'm an intercultural strategist and solution-oriented coach, but you might be surprised to learn that I'm actually was just a girl who was born in North Dakota. Father was a farmer or is a farmer. My mother is a housewife. And I... I'm not like some of the people that you might have met who work across cultures. I didn't grow up as a diplomat. I didn't grow up multilingual. I grew up in a very homogenous environment in rural America. But I always felt like as a small girl, even in grade three, I just knew that... I wanted to see the rest of the planet. This um, sounds like the female version of Cherry. I know, <laughs> this is the have, beginning of our podcast yeah, episode. Yeah, too. we have a very similar story. I think this is very typical of people who are monocultural who break out and become intercultural. And I just knew it. And I ended up... Um, through a series of events, I ended up studying in a different state, which was kind of, a, you know, stepping out of the zone there. And then I ended up studying abroad in Spain. Then I ended up traveling throughout Western Europe and then backpacking through Southeast Asia. And in the last two weeks of my trip, I was uh, working in a consulting firm at the time and I took uh, sort of a break in between assignments. I met this guy from Switzerland. It was like the first Swiss guy I'd ever really met. And I ended up, you know, fast forward, I ended up moving to Switzerland. We got married uh, eight weeks later and um, we've been together for 20 years. So I, I didn't plan to live an international life, nor did I have any tools to do that. In fact, when we're talking about language, when I studied abroad in Spain, I was a disaster. Like to, to be really honest, I am not a natural language talent. I studied Spain you know, or, or Spanish from people who were monolingual like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't, at the time I didn't see like why I would have to learn. I learned Spanish because it was like a practical language to have in the United States, but 
I was, I think I was just learning it to learn a language. I wasn't learning it to, to actually use it later in life, yeah, I you know, see. like just check off the box, get the good grade and move on. And so yeah. when I landed in Spain, I was like, crap, just cause I've been getting good grades. Does not mean I can speak this language at all? Right. <laughs> I am not the talented at all at languages. I just work really hard and so, um, yeah, that's what brought me, that's what brought me on this journey. And I lived in Switzerland and you can imagine how unhelpful Spanish was for, <laughs> for Banduch, right? That it's a Bern- so Bernese German is a dialect. It's not a language. I wouldn't be able to understand it probably. Right. And then, um, I had to learn Banduch and Hochdeutsch, right? parallel one just by picking it up and the other one by going to school but again learning high german from maybe swiss people who actually speak schriftdeutsch so ah, it's all mixed up um and because of all these experiences i it was raw mm-hmm. and i wanted i felt i felt i had so many questions and i you know, I had questions about being in a binational marriage and how do we do this and how do we change? And that's what spurred me to get my master's degree in intercultural communication and work internationally. So that's just how it all started. I don't know. What more do you want to know? <laughs> well, so that there were the, I had so many questions in between already. <laughs> that's, uh, let's talk about Spain for a little mm-hmm. bit. So you came to Spain to study. Mm-hmm. So it was like I, a semester abroad, but yeah. was was that supposed to be going on in English or in Spanish already? Well, so I, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed to share that I came to Spain to travel. <laughs> um, so it was my last semester of university and it was part of my bachelor's degree. I got a master's or um, my bachelor's was in uh, speech communication with a minor in Spanish. And I just wanted to be in Europe and travel. And I was so hungry for culture and I wanted to see the world. And, um, and I studied Los Gran Maestros de España. <laughs> you know, like I wanted to like learn about the paintings and Of and course, all of it that. makes perfect sense. That's, I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? Mm. And I lived in a, I lived in a, um, what do you call it? Um, where nuns live. Oh, a nunnery. Yes, I, it was an old converted nunnery. I did um, that in Italy. I went to, yes, mm-hmm. I went to Venice for a semester and I stayed at a nunnery. Wow. <laughs> I loved it. And so, so it was a great way to experience culture and learning the language was, if I'm really honest with myself, it was kind of like, I was you know, kind of a nerdy student. I'm like, let me just get a good grade, pass the test but get the experience. And, um, so languages were always like, get it, get done what I need to have done to do the thing. But while I was in Spain, um, I was clueless in the beginning. Like I would walk out of my Spanish class and I'm like, do we have homework? Like I had no idea what happened. Like, (laughs) I don't know what they had been teaching me for three years at college because I had, I had no idea what they were talking about. And it took me, you know, that one semester by the end, I was writing papers uh, in Spanish. I was dreaming in Spanish, but I'd left, unfortunately then, and I didn't stay with a family. I stayed in this dorm situation with a lot of other English speakers. So okay. of course we had a lot more English. So I did not make the most of that situation from a language perspective. But what I did do is um, explore uh, other things. Um, I mean, of course my Spanish got better. Um, but I just, I did a lot of other growing and learning then too. 
I can imagine. I can imagine. How old were you then? I must have been like 21. 20, right. 21. Yeah. And from Spain, you went back to the States? Um, after Spain, I, I quickly went back to the States and... Um, God, what happened? I got, I was working during my internship at university. I had, I worked with, it's called, now it's called Anderson Consulting. Then it was, wait, it was then Anderson Consulting. Now it's Accenture Consulting Firm. And um, when I graduated, I had been an intern there for like two years and I had a position starting with them, but waiting in between assignments, I went to Southeast Asia and was traveling. So you can see what was more important for me was like exploring and, and experiencing new cultures and engaging with people. And at that time, I think I put the experience of exploration before the tool of the language. Hmm. Um, you know, in Spain, the primary, um, driver was exploring and seeing Mm. and but the language of course I learned along the way um but then that that drive and hunger to see more of the world drove me to Southeast Asia in Thailand Vietnam and Laos and this was like in 1999 backpacking Mm. it was just you know I'm dating myself but it was a different it was a different time and um I just you know imagine growing up in this small town going to Southeast Asia being in Vietnam being in Thailand, being in Laos, in places that weren't really touristy yet was mind-blowing for me. And that's what sort of fed that hunger for culture. Um, But culture and language haven't always been paired for me. I think that's why it's interesting Mm -hmm. for us to talk today. And I'm going to be really transparent about that. You would also think as an intercultural strategist, I would always put linguistics first or always put language first um, because it's such a natural tie to culture right? It is. And, um, I haven't always done that. So what I did do is in Switzerland, I did do that. Um, I, first I spent the first few years like getting adjusted, trying to get a job. And then I made the language a priority and I made it a priority because I was invested long-term in the country and the culture and the relationships. And then I did what I had to do. I have, um, from the Goethe diploma, I have like a C1 level. So I have like an advanced level of German. I can work in German. I can coach in German. And I honestly invested blood, sweat, and tears to get there. It's, I can imagine. I, it's not, I'm not like a natural yeah. language talent. I, I literally just went to the, the local grocery store, pie and coffee shop <laughs> and conjugated verbs, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I sacrificed when I could have been jogging, I could have been resting, I could have been making money, whatever it was, all of those hours I did because I knew it was part of the long yeah. haul game. Yeah, yeah. And I did that. And then uh, at, at one point I told all of my friends, all, most of my community in Switzerland are Swiss, like Bernese. Mm. And, and I said, would you mind switching to me in German? Would you mind switching in mm. Banduge so that they wouldn't just speak to me in English anymore? I really had a chance. And it was hard because, I mean, I am so much funnier and so much smarter in English than I am in a language I'm awkward in, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was really hard on me emotionally because I felt like, you know, I did it after they already knew who I was and we had connection, but I felt like, um, 
it was a real emotional struggle because you know German, it's you can mess up with der, die, das, den, dessen, dessen, all this stuff. Like if it's moving or if it's yours or if it's theirs, <laughs> and it's just the word that, and it's so frustrating because it doesn't carry meaning. Some of the articles don't carry meaning, and it's like, do I really have to invest so much perfection? Mm. exactness right to that when it's not carrying meaning and so it was a it was a slog it really was a slog and it took me a few years um until I felt fluent doesn't mean I was perfect but fluent in the language confident exactly and then I could start working in the language and I learned Swiss German along the way that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, then, I mean, I also took French uh, because there are four languages in Switzerland. And French was also just a utility. Like, I should, like in my head, I should learn the language. Yeah. And I just, I'm saying that because um, sometimes people shame themselves for not being gung-ho about the language. And I, as the coach inside, I want to say, you need to get really clear about your goals. Like yes, why are absolutely. you learning the language? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There's something really important that you also mentioned or that, that came out of what you told us. And that's something that I always tell people, you know, language is not just language. Mm-hmm. language is part of your identity it's mm-hmm. part of who you are so as you said you know you you feel so much funnier and smarter mm-hmm. when you speak english than at that point when you were just starting out with german mm-hmm. so it's so much more and it is part of the culture yeah so also you know parents who are passing on their languages to their kids they are passing on so much more than just this linguistic skill that you can you know you can pick that up at any language class at any time in your life if you really want to right but and not I mean, the whole package and my husband is bernese right so our even though our relationship language is english he speaks banduch to the kids and in our community mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i remember we had been dating for a while and i we had been in Southeast Asia, then he came to the US, and then I got to Switzerland. And I remember watching him talking to his friends, and he would talk, and then his friends would laugh, and then he would say something, and his friends would laugh, and I'm like, he's funny. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I like didn't realize, you know, and there was a part of his humor I didn't really realize. I, we, I, this is being yeah. recorded. <laughs> if you ever watch us, I've said this to him. Um, and, and, and then I remember one time when we were still really fresh, he was saying something down the street, we were in Minneapolis and he said something and I was going to correct him. But then I realized it was a play on words in English. And I was like, Oh, oh yeah. Wow. You know, so funny. I started to, I started to discover more of his personality and, and for binational couples, I don't want to be judged. Like there's no one way to do this. Everybody has to decide what they want to do for them. Right. So I don't want to like prescribe something and feel like anybody's being judged if they make another choice. I'm just saying when you're in a binational relationship and a bilingual relationship, when you do learn their other language, their language, you have access to more of them. Mm. Right. Um, than you would otherwise. Yes, and, absolutely. And who knows? Like, th- thankfully, he wasn't Chinese because I'm sure Chinese would be way longer road, right? But w- if you are able, if your life circumstances enable you to, yeah. that's what you have to offer um, yeah. or, or to gain, I guess. Yeah. And then the learning yeah. of the language is also important. Like the frustration, the slog 
of trying to speak another language balances out something in the relationship, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's really funny that you mentioned this uh, humor part because like I love going or I used to love going to um, like comedian and Mm -hmm. stand-up comedian stuff. Um, And Austria, especially Vienna, has a really Mm -hmm. big culture of that. And I always felt like I would love to be able to share that with my husband. Mm -hmm. But, you know, my husband is Greek. Um, Our language of communication is English. Mm -hmm. And he speaks German. He understands German. He even understands some of the dialect that I grew up with. Um, But he'll never get that, you know, Mm -hmm. that cultural twist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He'll miss out on that completely. Like, I'd be laughing hilariously, you know. through the entire evening and he'd be sitting there and not, not grasping it and asking every two minutes, what did you say? What was it about? You know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think about too, you know, I've been around Swiss German for 20 years and there's a level of comprehension that I have now that I didn't have, you know, 15 Mm. years ago, but there's stuff I I miss all the time. Like I'm still learning. And now that, because we've been abroad since 2013, we've lived in West Africa, we lived in South Africa. And now since of COVID, we were in, um, in the kind of the hometown where his brother is, his father is. And that I found myself at the table with all the family again and everybody going back and forth and doing all this stuff. And I realized, Hey, there's nuance here that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's interesting, especially for p- families who've been together for like partners who've been together for a long time to, um, to stay curious, stay learning, right? It's not like I've learned it. I have learned at a level I never dreamed of. So I'm really happy about that. Right. And I have so much more to learn. Yeah. There's that's, that's, so, much yeah, that's missing, so precious. Right? That is so mm-hmm. precious. But like stay in that curiosity, right? Like yeah. what more is a discover? Because my hunch is for most financial couples, they actually, that curiosity and that excitement was actually part of why they're together. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, I'm going to reflect on that too later on. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me, you have two kids, you said. How old are they now? Eight and almost 12. And so how, which languages do they speak? How are they growing up? Great question. So when we moved, so we were in Switzerland, they were both born in Switzerland. Um, So they were, we raised them bilingually in a sense that one parent, one language, I speak only English. Um, Their dad speaks only Banjuj. And we request of our friends, you know, to only speak their native language, like if it's Swiss German or English. Mostly they had Swiss German in the first five years of my oldest one and the first one year of my youngest. But then we moved to Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso and it's Francophone and they speak More, but we, the people that we were um, around, we asked that they spoke uh, French with them. So my one-year-old was in a francophone creche or kita or daycare. Um, the people that we had, like a nanny, and there you have staff like guards. They all spoke French, like a West African French, to our one-year-old and our five-year-old. And we spent three years there. So my one-year-old was bilingual French-English. In fact, he spoke better French than I did. I what had, about his you know, German then? Well, he... 
from one to three, he was always listening to Papa, but he would only mm. have a few words anyway, right? Yeah, in, sure. in Swiss German. But his French was pretty developed. And I remember we were by the pool and there was a bird there in the water. And he said something like, Louis at- attrape. And I was like, oh, attrape must be to catch. You know, like my three-year-old had an expression in French that I didn't have. I have lower, inter- lower intermediate French. And um, he had really actually quite good comprehension skills and speaking skills in French. And my son um, was fluent in French, fluent in Banduch, and fluent in English. Wow. All of a mm-hmm. sudden, we left within 10 days. Uh, there was lots of things that were going on in Burkina Faso. And then we left within 10 days. We planned on being there for another 18 months. And all of a sudden, we're in Switzerland and in an English-speaking international school, but in Switzerland, my husband's still in Burkina. So they didn't have Banduch anymore at home, and they had me and uh, the international school. And only on weekends did they have Banduch. So my youngest, his Banduch was basically becoming non-existent. French started to fade, and then English Mm. became predominant. And my eldest, then the French started to fade, and then Banduch and English stayed. Mm. When we went to South Africa, that trend continued because my husband was working so much. There wasn't as Mm. much time. And um, so we decided to do German lessons, like Hochdeutsch lessons, um, every Wednesday to get them like, hey, this is the language and here's the structure. Um, Unfortunately, my son was taking, they're taking Spanish at school (laughs) because, because then it was required. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like you were adding now Spanish to this mix. And then when we could switch my oldest from Spanish to French, we did because we're thinking long-term with Switzerland, yeah. right? Want to reactivate. But hold on a second. You yeah. said you were doing uh, German lessons. Mm-hmm. Did you do them or did you have somebody else? We had, we had, uh, die Brigitte hat das gemacht. Die hat das gemacht. <laughs> so, sie hat das gemacht. So, she came every Wednesday because it was, okay. I mean, I don't want them to learn my okay. Schriftdeutsch, right? So we had uh, someone who was a native German speaker come into the home and okay. do that. When we came to Switzerland during the COVID times, um, Brigitte continued to do German while we did online school until summer. Okay. The the, I call it a Corona bonus. So yeah. the Corona bonus is now my, my youngest who had the weakest Swiss German is suddenly immersed yeah. in Swiss German. And I am so grateful to report today that now my son is much more fluent in Swiss German. My eight-year-old speaks on the phone much longer with my husband, um, feels more confident in his friendship interactions to speak. So I really, even though this is, I am sleeping on an air mattress, (laughs) I feel really grateful for this time because I feel like we've solidified this, the bandage in a way that we were able to do for my oldest. At eight years old. Mm-hmm. At eight years old, that that's amazing. Yeah, maybe we should maybe because people who are going to listen to this did not hear our previous conversation. Maybe we should clarify the the air mattress. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so being a good you know transition specialist, I have been in transition since March. I live in South Africa. Yeah, we, we haven't said any of this. I live in South Africa and have for four years. Um, we live a rotational expat life. That means every two to four years, we move somewhere else. My business is 100% location independent. So when the whole COVID um, shutdowns were starting to happen, we decided based on multiple factors that we would wait that out in Switzerland, not knowing 
it would be as long as it has been. Yeah. Um, so we came to Switzerland. My husband ended up getting stuck here because of, he couldn't get a flight back. Um, we have stayed here. We lived, um, in an apartment next to my in-laws. So the family interaction was, was rich and we, so they were able to speak Swiss German and had to speak Swiss German every day. And that opportunity to, to be with family and, and learn Swiss German in a safe context was, has been wonderful for my son. Cause we're talking March, April, May, June, July. It's now almost August. Yeah. It's been enough time. And, um, and so we've been there. We're now here in this situation. Um, because I'm, I'm, this is a bigger picture about connection. We're nurturing a relationship with two young boys that are about their age, which are like their cousins. They're not biologically their cousins, but they feel like cousins. They've been friends since the womb. And we're using their these children's three-week summer break, which crosses over with the, my son's 45,000-week summer break. Um, <laughs> To, That's what it to, feels like, yeah. <laughs> to connect, to connect and really nurture those relationships. And I've watched the di- so here going back to why language is important and your big why, right? I'm watching those boys create relationships that will be lifelong. Mm-hmm. And the the avenue that is enabling that is yes, time together, but also the language. Language, yes. I'm watching my youngest be able to advocate for himself in ways that he couldn't last year, last summer, because he didn't have the language competency. So he's more fully integrated in that couplehood of friendships. Mm. Um, So going back to the big why, is it uncomfortable for my son, you know, the first six weeks here to have to try to express himself in the language? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Same thing with me, me, a bumbling idiot with my friends feeling awkward. I'm so thankful to my 15 years younger self Mm. for doing the work right now. I have companies saying, Hey, we have this, um, training where we want you to do one time in German, one time in English. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Right. I'm so thankful to myself that much younger for doing that hard work because those, let's say three years of investment literally pay off for the rest of my life. And and that's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. That basically also goes for the work the parents are doing, you know, Mm -hmm. with their children when they're passing on languages. And, um, you know, I always tell people, and I think that's also so important with languages. I always tell them, you know, now you're laying a foundation. Mm -hmm. You know, if your three-year-old or your four-year-old doesn't want to speak your language, Fine. Let them Mm -hmm. choose the language they want to communicate in, but do not stop with the input. Do not ever stop with the input. Quite the contrary. Try to increase it as much as you can. You're laying a foundation right now. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, when your kid is 10, 15, 20, and then they realize, oh, they Mm -hmm. want to build on that, then they can expand that within no time. Yep. They can and, just, you know, it, it can explode. And, and, you know, the story of your children, that's the perfect mm-hmm. example. Like within no time, it can explode into, you know, something and it, huge. And it might be easier than you thought. But I have to say, I have to say two things. One, I'm so grateful. My husband never gave up. It's, yeah. um, he kept consistently speaking in yeah. Swiss German for seven years. I mean, that takes a lot. And yes. there's just a really fast story that I have of, when my son was four, he had, you know, we were in Switzerland the whole time. So he only had me for English. And I remember I made him 
for the very first time, um, chocolate chip cookies. So if people know like traditional American chocolate chip cookies, it's like, it's culture, right? Like it's really important to us, (laughs) to me at least. And, um, I had like chocolate chips from a friend. Someone else gave me brown sugar. Like I, I had sacredly, you know, collected these things, made them and then gave this first chocolate chip cookie to my four-year-old and he takes a bite and he goes, knit gan. I was like, Nitgan is, I don't like it. Nitgan, right? Yeah. He's like, I don't like it. And I was like, this was such a slap in the face because one, he didn't like it. He didn't like a cookie. Like how could, it was like rejecting my culture. Mm-hmm. Two, he said it in bandage. Like he, <laughs> he didn't say, mama, I don't like it. He said it in bandage. And it, and it physically, it's so silly, but it hurt. It, it emotionally, mm-hmm. I felt accosted. I felt like my culture was at threat. I felt like our connection was at threat. I felt Mm -hmm. like, what if my kids, it's like, wait a minute, I want you to be part of who I am. And if you're more of him and not of me, then and it it brings up all of that and it can cause problems in the relationship and all of that. Right. And I just want to acknowledge that for people who are raising binational kids and bilingual kids, I understand how hard that is and how it can be such a threat to your identity. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And you don't have to make it mean that, right? There's, yeah. there's other ways that you can transmit identity and culture to your kids until their linguistic competency catches up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, if this is also where it's so important, I think, to have your goals in mind. Mm-hmm. Do not think short term. Short term, yeah, you know, totally. it might be really, you know, you get frustrated and you're like, oh, I'm going to quit. It, you know, it's not worth it anyways. You need to think long term. And that's where the very first task, parents who work with me, the mm-hmm. very first task they always get is, what are your goals? Mm-hmm. Do you want your children to be able to communicate with your parents? Mm -hmm. Or do you want them to be able to go to school one day and um, use that language? Mm -hmm. Depending on that goal, we're going to work on your strategy. Absolutely. Whenever it gets hard, Mm -hmm. that's when you need to remind yourself of your goal. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What am I? And this is, I'm reading the book from Simon Sinek right now. um, Oh, I love Simon Sinek. Right? Changed my life. (laughs) He's so good. So infinite game. And it's not a finite game, right? This is an infinite game where you keep going, you keep investing, you keep instilling this into your children and, um, and it will pay off even though you don't, it's like going to the gym. Yeah. And running on the treadmill for 15 minutes. I love minutes, that. Yeah, right? I love that. You yeah. don't, you're not buff after 15 minutes, yeah, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. But, but for example, I run every day, um, maybe like 25, 35 minutes. That's no, it's nothing, it's nothing exciting. Like I'm sedentary all day. So it's the only way I can get even 5,000 steps in. And so no one would say I'm really a runner or that's even a distance worth bragging about. But actually in the infinite game, it's an investment in my health. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you can always expand on it. Like mm-hmm. if you decided one day mm-hmm. that you wanted to run a marathon, you know, yeah. you'd be that much base. further ahead. Yeah, yes. you have a base. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the same with language, you know, it's, it's in the brain. Mm-hmm. As soon as they understand it, it's in the brain and it's, you know, it's recorded already. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you, you know, that comes to your mind that you would like to share about your journey or your life with your kids? Oh gosh. <laughs> 
I think, um, I mean, I think there's so much to share, but I, I feel like this is such an emotional, I like roller coaster connected to things that are so personal to us. Language, how we say them, what we say, the words we choose, the cultural practices we engage in. It is, it is who we are, right? And because we're bringing multiple languages and cultures together, it, it causes us to question who we are and it causes us to question who they are and yeah. who they're going to become and, and oh, all yeah. of that. So it's yeah. really deep work. Yeah. Really yeah. deep work. And, but it's worth it because it's rich work, right? I am so grateful that I have been thrown or chosen intercultural context because I know I have more depth because of it. Because I know I have a different world perspective that if I didn't get myself roped into those situations, I would be without. So I think for parents, um, that hard work, that deep work, it's, it is part of it, and I'm sorry I can't take that away from you, right? Yeah. But the the richness and the depth you get as a result, as an individual and for your kids and as a family, are, are what we need actually for our future, right? Like if we look at where we're going trajectory-wise in the next yes. 30 years, yes, we need to have cultural empathy. We're constantly polarizing. If you look at this polarizing nature of our societies, that's one of the mega trends. And it's like, we need to build skills where we can sit in self-awareness and empathy and do perspective taking and create connection with people that are different from us. Oh, yes, absolutely. All of those skills are so important for one, for our own satisfaction and happiness, but to be effective as we're changing, as our globe is changing and as working conditions are changing. I just think it's, it's a precious gift that we have to offer and it's not without a cost, right? Valuable gifts are investments. Yes. Um, but that's important. That's amazing. And that basically answers my last question that I haven't really asked yet, but how do you see this multilingual multicultural life connect to the big questions of our time? Mm-hmm. because that's exactly that, right? That's what we need and that's what our world needs. We need so much right now. Yeah. We need so much right now. I think, I guess where I would connect it is with humility. Yeah. Right now we need a lot of humility and um, people who are struggling because they're waking up from the role that they're mainstream identities have played in power dynamics are asking themselves, what do I do now? How do Mm -hmm. I do this differently? Right. Um, I think we need, there's a lot of mainstream identities out there right now that are being called into question. And it's like, we can use that humility to look at how have, what have our strategies been and how are they impacting other people? So people who are living multilingual, multicultural relationships, um, we have an opportunity to take that humility we've had in our one-to-one relationships and use that when we're looking at a broader societal context. Um, We can also grab the hand of someone who's a lot like us, but hasn't been on the same journey and say, I know this is scary. I know this is hard. And I know that being humble and showing humility might feel uncomfortable, but come with me on this journey, right? 
Um, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. All, that's all I got. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a lot that you got mm-hmm. there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am really inspired mm-hmm. after well, this conversation. Thank you for what you're doing. Really, par- parents with multilingual contexts need support. And it's so great that you have the professional competency to offer that because these are tough questions and oh, yeah. personal questions, right? Yes, they are. They are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I already look forward to listening to this again because there were so many nuggets in there. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your journey with us. It was amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. And if anybody wants to connect and has questions or wants to know more, reach out and just let me know that they heard. You'll find all the details in the show notes as usual. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you.